0: Amen. Amen. I think there's a slide popping up for do I have to say it? Or are you guys just looking for the slide? Go on and get. I know. Pastor J hates kids. That is awesome. You can get the light, Jesse, for me. That'd be, be great. Hey, before we get started this morning, how many of you saw the big gray elephant sitting on the patio out front when you pulled up? Did you see that? The church has been blessed. We have a, a, a bus. It runs great. We're going to get the logo put on it. 29-passenger uh, bus. we got some already planning some youth events and different things. I'm trying to encourage the Young at Heart group to use it, but I don't know about where they want to go. i got to deal with that. But anyway, we have this bus. Hopefully, we're going to use it to maybe drive around, pick people up. We also have a van. And uh, I, Can we give a good praise to the Lord for that? Amen. Um, we're asking for people that may be qualified to drive it because it is a little bit bigger. You have to have a passenger endorsement, CDL. I'll, I have to learn all that to take the test because I, I want to drive the bus, right? It kind of goes along with the analogy I heard years ago when I became a pastor of T.D. Jakes made a statement. He said, Pastor, you're a, you're a bus driver. You're called to drive the bus, People get off the bus and people get on the bus. You keep driving the bus until Jesus tells you to get off the bus. So I need to drive the bus. So I'm going to have to get my license, CDL. But if you're qualified and you wouldn't mind uh, giving us your name just to build a a reference, and and if you're interested in getting qualified, the church wants to help you with that and do different things. So uh, really excited. Just want to get, you know, those people that can drive it so when we have events, We can take care of that. So pretty exciting in our church, isn't it? It is. I'm excited about that. See where the Lord's, what we're going to do with that. Okay, so with that being said, we're going to dive in, and I'm going to make this statement as we begin by saying, life happens every day. Life happens every day. I guess you're all dead. (laughs) Life happens every day. Somebody say something. Amen. Amen. Life happens every day. We have we have mills, we have bills, we have schedules, life happens. We have big events in our life, little events in our life. We have big issues, we have small issues, right? But those small things in our life, they add up, right? We, we pay attention to the big things in life, and rightly so, but some of those small things in life, they, they can add up. They can fill our, our lives that, that tend to squeeze out the, the more important things. That's what they do. They they. They slowly will sneak up on us. For instance, sand. Uh, sand can bury a car. It can bury a house. It can bury a person if, if those things stand still long enough, right? Grains of sand are very small, but when they are combined, like our, our small things that add up, when they combine with a large number uh, of other grains of sand, it is a force to be reckoned with. Right? Right? Sand also irritates. How many times at the beach have you had sand in your eyes? It's not a pleasant thing, right? Those small things add up. I'm a, I'm a to-do person. I, I like to make that to-do list. And I like to write down even the smallest of things because I get great joy in lining them out, right? Even if I've already done them, I'll put them on there just so I can line them out. Look what I did. Right? And it's interesting how all those small things just make a big list. But you get to you get to light them out. That's what small things do. They add up. And it's often the small things that hurt us worse than the bigger things we deem important and necessary because we push them off aside and they become like grains of sand and they bury us. The small things though do add up over a period of time and they'll soon consume us. They'll consume our relationships, even our faith. They can become burdens that drain us uh, of faith, hope, and love. They truly can. This morning, we're going to continue with our study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles, apps, whatever you have, you can turn there. Last week, we read from Acts chapter 17 to see the beginning of this church plant through Paul, through the Apostle Paul, his second missionary journey that he went on as the Lord led him there. We saw that Paul was forced to leave this city, Thessalonica. He was forced to leave when the religious leaders became jealous after many, mostly Gentiles, non-Jews, began to believe in the message of Jesus. These religious people began, uh, got jealous because lives were being changed. They were giving up idols. They were giving things up. They were living for the Lord, and they became jealous. We looked at that. Last week, because it wasn't so much about that as it was they were losing a following unto themselves. And some time later, out of concern, Paul, he, he sent Timothy to check on this young church to find out what was happening. He wanted to know, had they made it through the, the ridicule and the persecution of what was taking place? Had their faith, hope and love? Had it been drained from them? Had they they lost it? Did they abandon their faith as born-again disciples of Jesus? Did the small things as well as the big things overcome them? Paul had to know. This morning we're going to read 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. We're going to uh, repeat verse 1 from last week and begin to see how Paul responds to the news that Timothy had brought to him, how he begins to respond to this news. Will you pray with me? Lord, uh, again, still our hearts, our minds, as we look at, at your living word, as we look at it for application, as we look at it, Lord, to strengthen each and every one of us in our, in our faith, love, and hope. Lord, may we be encouraged as we see how the Thessalonians grew, as they were being persecuted, ridiculed, and mocked may be something that we can learn and strive to do in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, excuse me. First Thessalonians chapter one, verses one and three. It starts out, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. As I said last week, what a great way to begin a letter. Grace and peace to you guys. He says, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. You can underline faith. Your labor prompted by love, underline love, and your endurance inspired by hope, underline hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Timothy has brought back good news that encouraged Paul to begin by mentioning their faith, love, and hope. These are only the first three verses, so he starts right out. He's so encouraged, he's mentioning to them their faith, love, and hope. He's going to encourage them, and he's so encouraged about these, this news. Paul was so, he was thankful uh, to God that this church was growing in their spiritual relationship with him and with one another. It's all about relationships, isn't it, church? And he's so thankful for it. And these are the the three areas, faith, hope, and love, that I would like us to focus on this morning. And sincerely, my, my prayer for each of us is that we grow stronger in each area as well. So let's begin by looking at their faith. Their faith. What is faith? Faith defined in the Bible is this. We find it in Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 1 and 6. Faith defined in the Bible. Now, faith is being sure of. If you like to write in your Bible, underline that word. Faith is being sure of. Sure of is a great way to define it of what we hope for and certain. Sure of and certain. That's what faith is. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. How many of you have ever seen God the Father? How many of, have you ever seen Jesus as he appeared to you? How many have you ever? So we have we have a surety and certainty of what we have not seen of the invisible God and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Of those things we have not seen. This is what the ancients were commanded for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, right? The universe was formed at God's command command God said bang and it happened right the Bible says he formed it by the word of his mouth it didn't take him billions of years to do it we have to wrap our minds around that don't we I could talk a lot about creation and God's command but it's that's what faith is by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command not evolution so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So God didn't go to another distant universe and get a pile of dirt and bring it over here and make our universe. He made it out of nothing by the word of his mouth. How many of you think it takes a little bit of faith to believe in that? That's what this is telling us. It takes faith to believe in that. By faith excuse me, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. That takes a lot of faith, right, to be sure of and certain. And it it says he could not be found because he he had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. That's a lot of faith, isn't it? God looked down at at Enoch and says, you know, Enoch, you please me so much. You have such great faith. You're not going to experience this death of, of our earthly vessel. And he took him away and he was no more pretty awesome, isn't it? There's only two people recorded in the Bible that we know about recorded in the Bible that were taken up, right? Uh, I believe it was Isaiah and uh, um, Enoch taken up. Elijah, sorry. the Elijah and Elijah, get them mixed up. Thank you. You guys are awake. That was a test. Good cover up. Two people, though, in the Bible. that That is great faith. And verse 6. Verse 6 really brings it home. And without faith of being sure of or certain, okay, put those words in there, without faith of being sure of or, or certain, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who who earnestly seek him. There's a lot going on in that verse, isn't it? You have to have faith, because if you don't have faith, you're not going to please God. That's the first thing. Without without faith, you can't please God. Without having the surety or the certainty that God exists, that he created the universe, that all these things took place, that he, he is God, without that faith, you can't please him. We must believe that he exists, and if we do, what does it say he does? He rewards those who earnestly, I love that definition of earnestly. in, the, in This biblical definition means with deep and sincere feeling. To earnestly seek him with deep and sincere feeling. to Another way, way it puts it is seriously seek him. He rewards those who have faith, who believe, who, who seriously seek him. That's encouraging, isn't it? That's what faith is. By faith, we believe in what we have not seen. But how many of you know there is something that we can see that does build our faith? There is something that we can see. We have experiences, right? I have experienced in my life... um, That gives me faith to believe what I have experienced, what I am sure of uh, in my life. And what is it? It's my testimony. We have a testimony. By the word uh, of our mouth, by the testimonies, we overcome. What does that mean? We are God's plan A. Our testimonies uh, speak volume. We have a story to tell. Each and every one of us has a story to tell. We have an experience. That experience can be seen, right? It can be seen are testimonies of a new life through Jesus. Be prepared to give that. Always be prepared to give your testimony and sometimes use words. When people look at you, do they see you living like everybody else lives in the world? Or when people see you, they go, there's something different about that person. They're not engaging in this or that, this worldly, this or that. There's something different about that person. I wonder what it is. And then they come up and they say, hey, what's different about you? What's this hope that you have in you? Door just opened. Guess what? You get to tell your story. You get to tell your story. It's not hard to tell your story. You know that, right? Your story of, uh, of who you were before you met Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what Jesus is doing in your life. It's that simple. You see Paul doing that time and time again in the book of Acts. When he stands before kings and leaders, he always starts out telling them who he was. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I believed in religion. I went after the, the Christians. This is who I was. But then I had a Damascus Road experience, and then, and then I was changed. I was transformed, and now uh, I'm going around uh, planting churches for the Lord. That's your story. That's how simple it is. Now, when you tell people who you were before Jesus, you can tell them as much as you want. Sometimes they get the point. You don't have to go into too many details unless you feel led to do so. I like to tell people, I grew up on a bar stool. I partied. I don't really need to go much deeper than that because I think most of you know what that means. Then I had a Damascus Road experience and Jesus changed me forever. And now by the grace of God, he uses me to stand up here and speak to each of you each week, which I apologize for. <laughs> you see, that's my story. And you have a story. That is the visible evidence of how faith is alive. God uses us to show people that Jesus is alive, that he is alive. But Paul is not just thankful that they have come to a place where they believe, they believe in and are born again disciples of Jesus. He is thankful for their working faith. He said this in the scripture we read. He said, your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. In other words, he is thankful for their that their faith is alive, a working faith, right? He wants something that he's telling us not wanting to. He's telling us that there's more than just having a faith that can move mountains, as powerful as that is, right? And that's one of the gifts the Holy Spirit gives. It says one of the gifts it clearly talks about is giving people a greater faith, right? Faith is good, a greater faith. How many of you love just being around people that just have that gift, of faith, that yours is like a mustard seed, which is great, by the way. The Bible says, having faith, the side of a mustard seed, God will take that. But you meet these people that their mustard seed has just grown into this mountain, and you get around them, and when, you're, when you leave them, you're like, man, I, I feel like I'm on top of the world because of their great faith. You love those kind of people. I do. But how many of you know that that kind of faith, this is what they're saying, isn't, isn't enough? You have to have a working faith. You have to have a faith that does something. You have to have a faith. I think I said in the first service, you can't have a once a week faith where you you come to church once a week and you have a chair that you named faith and you sit in it. Here's my faith. I have faith on Sunday. Look at my faith. And then you walk out the door and you, you leave it there. That's not working faith. You have to have a faith that you take with you, that you grow, that you use, that you're doing something with this great faith that God has given you. Look at uh, James chapter 2 with me for a better understanding of, of a working faith. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, referring to the family of God like we talked about last week, he's talking to believers. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother... Or a sister, we're the family of God, he's speaking to members of the church, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Look, I have this great faith, I see all these physical needs you're at. I'll make sure I make you a matter of prayer when I pray for uh, tonight. I have faith that God's going to do something for you, which He will. But if God's given you the resources and given you the faith, maybe you're God's answer for that person because He wants you to have a working faith. Does that make sense? It's not about works for salvation. It's about gratitude for what Jesus has done in your life to help others find him or to help others grow in their faith. Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. You have great faith, I have works. You have great faith, which is great, I have works. I'm working my way to heaven. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. So he's saying, look, it's not about works. It's not just about faith. It's meshing the two together. It's a faith in action. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. So the demons believe in God. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith, what he was sure of and certain of, And his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do we all know what Abraham did? Abraham finally has his son Isaac who he's been waiting for. The Lord gives him Isaac and then the Lord says, now I want you to sacrifice him to see how much you love me. So what does Abraham do? He packs up, he heads to the place where the Lord's going to do it. And Abraham has two trains of thought. One is the Lord will provide a sacrifice, or the other is if I sacrifice my son uh, on the altar, the Lord will raise him from the dead. Abraham was going to do it. And he goes to do it, and he raises up the knife, and the Lord speaks to Abraham, don't do it. There's a ram in the thicket, right? And and Abraham sacrifices the lamb. And because his faith, of what he was certain of, he was so willing to put it into action to trust and obey God, it says he was called God's friend. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did, When she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead. Here we have it. These last words. As the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. It's pretty direct, isn't it? You want to have a greater relationship with Jesus. You want to have a greater relationship with people in the church. Come alongside and serve. Come alongside and say, I want to put my faith in action. I have grown closer to more people throughout the years by serving side to side with them, by doing things that seemed totally meaningless at the time. But it's something about the camaraderie. Our, our palace of love where we, we have the greatest volunteers in all the world that come faithfully when we give food away, I can tell you right now, it's awesome to help the community. It's awesome to give a cup of water in Jesus' name. Uh, I love that, but I'll tell you what I love the most. It's the camaraderie. It's the, what's happening with our core, with, with our group of volunteers that I love the most. There's something about getting to know one another, just serving one another, the fun that we have. Remember the zucchini we gave away a couple weeks ago? We were out there playing hot zucchini one time at the giveaway, like hot potato. We were just having fun. We were just, and we get to know about what people are going through because we see them more than once a week. We talk, we communicate, we pray with each other. That's what serving does, church. That's what serving does in the body of Christ. That's what it does with your relationship with the Lord and with one another. It's golden. No, I'm not trying to get you to sign up for children's ministries. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you today, please do. If Pastor Jay is convicting you, probably should' ignoring it. Get involved. Get involved. Paul is thankful that they they have this kind of working faith. He is also thankful to hear about their labor prompted by love. That's the next one. They had a working love. So what's the difference between having love and a working love? I'm going to tell you the same cheesy analogy that I said at the first service. What's the difference? I love my wife, Cindy, who I've been married to now for 28 years. I can, and, I, and I, do, I, I know I do every day. I can, and I do tell her that I love her every day. And for her, as humble and as sweet as my wife is, that would be good enough. I'm thankful that I'm married to a, a wonderful lady like that. But my actions behind my words show her that I love her. It's, it's easy to say, I love you, honey, and never appreciate her, never, uh, like, never help around the house. And I said this in the first service, I want to see how the ladies respond in this service. Guys, all the stuff that has to be done around the house is not your wife's responsibility. Who said that? <laughs> I can't believe the place just didn't erupt with amens. And then, said, and then I said, okay, guys, all the work around the house belongs to the ladies, You know what it tells me? I think we have some real peaceful homes, I guess. <laughs> you see, my actions should speak louder than my words. How do I show my love? Here it is. I am either a partner with her with my actions in love, or I'm a potato. Okay? What, what do I do? To help help Cindy, help my partner, whatever, with the day-to-day things that need to be done around the house. A a partner, a co-laborer, sees the trash can is full, and they take it out without having to be asked. Right? That's, That's love in action. A potato lays on the couch and says, I love you. Now bring me a bag of potato chips. Your action will show me that you love me if you bring me the chips. You see, it's, it's, it's action. A working love, love and action. Perhaps my point is made clear in First John chapter 3, verses 16 and 18, where it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Is that not love in action, church? That's love in action. Jesus said he was going to do those things. It was prophesied he was going to do those things. It also says he didn't have to do those things. The Bible said he could have called a legion of angels and stopped the whole thing, but he didn't because he was putting his love in action. He put his love in action. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother is in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. That's what love is. That's what Timothy reported in the Thessalonians, what was going on. They had this love in action. And let me say this, love is not always some sort of warm, fuzzy feeling we get when we're around someone, right? I've been married for 28 years. If I left my wife every time I didn't have a warm, fuzzy feeling when I was around her, right? Through 28 years, we wouldn't have a very good relationship, right? It's not based on your emotions. It's based on loyalty and accountability. It's based on, uh, on trust. It's based on being there despite how you may feel at certain times. Nobody's going to say amen to that? It's true. We live in this world where I don't feel a certain way anymore, so I'm moving on to the next person, that's not love. That's not putting your love in action. Well, I don't love them anymore because I don't have the warm, fuzzy feeling, so I'm moving on. That's my love in action. No, it's not. That's an excuse. I can say after being married for 28 years, Cindy is my best friend. I am closer to her now than, than I ever have been. And yes, in the early years, we went through uh, some very rough times, but I didn't think we were going to make it. The longer you're with somebody, it seems like the better, the sweeter it gets. And you can't base it on the fuzzy feelings. Love is what we lay down for others. It is action at work. Now, for the last of the three we are focusing on this morning that Paul is thankful to hear is growing in the Thessalonian church is hope. A few definitions of hope. Hope, and to anticipate something good to come in the future, right? To anticipate something good's going to happen. Another, another one is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So I anticipate, I expect, I desire for a certain thing to happen. You know, hope, I think, is sometimes is what helps us get up in the morning, right? This hope that something, that you're anticipating something to happen. I would say that hope gives us something to look forward to in life. For instance, I have hope. I have expectation and desire to go fishing this year more than Keith. That is funny. You can relax now. I don't know why I can't. I only work one day out of the week. I should be, amen, who said that? I should be a fishing fool. I should smell like fish, literally. (laughs) You see, we can also put our hope in a lot of different things as we as we live out our lives, right? To anticipate, to put our hope in. Some people put their hope, their expectations in the government to meet their needs. Some people put their hope in doctors for healing. Some people put their hope in family to bring them joy. Now, please hear me. There's nothing wrong with believing that these things, uh, uh, these things or people may help you in this life. But I will say that true Hope, anticipation, expectation comes from believing and following Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the one that meets our needs. Jesus is the one that brings us true joy. Uh, Jesus is the one that brings us healing. Yes, he uses doctors. Yes, he uses those things. I'm not telling you not to go to doctors or anything like that. I'm just saying... Put your hope in Jesus first. Pray first. Trust Jesus. Maybe he has the right doctor, the right place. We we often, I'm guilty of it as well, we often just say, <coughs> got a cough, call the doctor, get right in. What about, we pray first. Lord, touch me. I hurt my finger a few weeks ago. The first thing Cindy did, which she's getting good at it because I bleed a lot, she grabbed my finger and she started to pray. And the swelling and infection went down. And I was like, I thought I was going to have a serious problem. It's because we prayed See, we have to put our hope in Jesus first. First, put it in him first. He'll lead us to where we need to go, and what we need to do, right? Paul was thankful for the Thessalonian church, having, he said this in our verse, endurance inspired, they were enduring, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So right there, he's telling us, they put their hope in Jesus They had a hope that gave them patience. It was a working hope. So we have a working faith, we have a working love, and we have a working hope. As we saw last week, they were in a large city influenced by trade and commerce from all around the region. They were under Roman control, which brought much idol worship. All this worldly influence could have caused them to lose their hope in the promises of God. This is too heavy. The persecution's too much. People are making fun of me too much. My hope, all those things that those guys came and taught us, my hope in the Lord, it would just be easier to just fall back in the ways of the world. This thing is just not working. They don't understand what we're going through, uh, through our culture, through the circumstances that are happening around us. Does that sound familiar? Crazy Christians. put your hope in something you can't even see. What's wrong with you people? They still had their hope. They still stood on the promises of God. First Peter says this, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living Hope, God is alive, God is not dead. He's alive, he's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never, what does that say? Never perish. An inheritance that you receive as a follower, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for Pastor Jay only. What does it say? It says you. Are you a you? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you are, you're a you. See, Paul is thankful to hear that through everything this church is going through, they have not lost their hope in what lies ahead as they endure the times they are in. They find themselves in. They have not displaced their hope in Jesus. Their hope is alive and well, and it's a working hope. Do we have hope? What's the greatest hope as born-again disciples of Jesus that we have as the church over all, every, every storm, over little things, big things, everything that's happening all around us. Pandemic, not pandemic, earthquakes, rumors of wars, all that different stuff. What's the greatest hope that you as a born-again disciple of Jesus have? It's called the blessed hope. It's called Jesus is coming back to get you. That's what it's called. That's what it's called. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his church. It's a blessed hope. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what storm you're in. It doesn't matter. With God, you have faith, you have love, you have hope, and we may not understand everything. Things are probably more than likely, according to the word of God, going to get much worse before they get better. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 24. He says what? There's going to be the birthing pains before he returns. There's going to be earthquakes, rumors of war, pestilence, all those different things. And then it says this. And then you, meaning the church, will be handed over to be persecuted. What? How many of you know persecution, uh, the persecution is for the church. The wrath of God is for unbelievers. When God's wrath comes, the church won't be here. And we're going to get into that in a few weeks. So we have the blessed hope where believers are going to be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so what that means is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we know we get our glorified bodies. I don't know why we're going into this, but we're going to dive deep in a few weeks. So to be absent from your body is to be present with the Lord. So your earthly body stays here. But when when the Lord comes, uh, he's going to bring those that are already in heaven, how we can recognize them in spirit. I don't know how all that works. But they're going to come, and they're going to go back into their bodies, and they're going to come out of the grave. And the resurrected body, they're going to be reunited with their bodies first, caught up, and then those of us who are still alive will follow them. That's why I want to be cremated and dumped outside. The nastiest, worst bar you can think of, my ashes, right there. I don't I have no problem. I don't want to be dumped out of a plane or on a mountain. When I come back and resurrected, I want people to see it. <laughs> Maybe you can win somebody at that instant as you're going up. I mean, you're gonna have a mountaintop experience by yourself. Oh, great. That's nothing wrong with that. But think about it. Think about it. Don't you think it would be cool if your ashes were. Put back together in that spot right there, and you're just resurrected. You got a bunch of cats sitting out smoking cigarettes, drinking. <laughs> right? <laughs> Eternity matters. I watched the thing, I don't know why we're doing this. I watched a thing recently, I don't know if it's still true, but I don't know how old the report was. I was watching this documentary. And did you know one of the top places in the United States that people like to take their loved ones uh, to spread out their ashes? One of the top places? What's the, is it Disney World in California or Disneyland? I can't remember. They have a problem. Security has a problem there. They're on the lookout all the time trying to catch people that are bringing their loved ones there to dump them in plants or in the grass to be at that place. I was watching that going, what do you say to somebody? Uh, you, can't dump, you can't dump your uncle on the grass. <laughs> uh, the kids are playing here. And maybe they thought when they're resurrected they get to go on a free ride real quick. I don't know. You can tell when we get to that chapter, we're going to have some fun. So as, as we close this morning, I just want to ask each of you where you are, where you stand as born-again disciples of Jesus when it comes to your faith, love, and hope. I, you know, I always want to challenge you. Where can you apply? What does it look like? So here's the three I want to ask you. Is your faith a living faith? Is it a living faith? Meaning, do you go beyond just believing in Jesus? Remember, even demons believe, okay? You can have that kind of faith where, yes, I believe in Jesus. I, I have faith. But do you have a faith that, that is working? Do you put your faith to work? Is it, is it a working faith where you are, first of all, reading the Word and applying it to your life? And then are you serving? Faith without deeds is, is dead, Right? Is your faith, if your faith is like what we see here in the Thessalonian church, then it will grow exceedingly with evidence by your faithful serving. Challenge you in that. Do you have a working faith? Do you have a working love? Is your love in in, in word only or in deed and truth? Do you walk the walk or do you just talk the talk? Is your love directed toward others or towards yourself? You see, if your love is like this church in Thessalonian, then you too will, will abound evidence of serving uh, one another in love will be in, in your life. That's what we see. That's what Paul is commending them for. That's what we should be commended for. And then the last question, what do you put your hope in. Do you have a strong hope in the promises of God that comes from reading his love letter to you, the Bible? A hope that spurs you on to live a life that pleases God and causes others to see that there is more to this life as we patiently wait for his return? Listen, church, it doesn't matter what the world says. He's coming back. Some days I'm very impatient, but we have to be patient. His timing is perfect; it's always perfect. Don't lose faith, love, and hope when you when the world says, "Where is this Jesus?" That you keep saying he's going to come back. You know, in First Peter, they mock it. Where? Oh, he's coming. He's coming. After Jesus returns and a few different other future events take place, this this happens. This is what we, as born-again disciples, born-again believers, put our hope in. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 7 reads this way. Then I, this is uh, John writing this as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. Is that hope or what people? Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. No more death. Or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's the old way when we get there. It's gone. That stuff is no more. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give the drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And I love verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will will be my son. They will be my sons and daughters. I pray that this incredible faith, love, and hope found in this Thessalonian church would inspire each of us to grow our relationship with Jesus, to have a living faith, to have a working love, and to have a strong hope. Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for your precious people. I pray, God, that each one of us today, including myself, would be challenged, would be encouraged, Lord, to dive deeper into the things of God, Lord. To understand that our hope is in something much grander than anything on this planet. Our hope and our future to be with you, to inherit those things as your sons and daughters, Lord. God, may we just have a greater faith even today. May people see Jesus in us as we leave this place. May we have a love that is in action, Lord. Not just in word, but in action. And Lord, may our hope through any circumstances of life, through any storm, through any mountain in the way, may our hope just be stronger and stronger in the promises of our living God. Thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Make sure you check out those life groups and pray about which one God would have you go to. Have a great, great week. If you need prayer, we're here to pray for you. God bless.